Welcome to the fire. Welcome to the fire, boys. My name is Parker McDonald. And I'm Walter Lee, and we'll be your hosts on this episode of the Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. If you're a new hunter trying to learn the basics, or you're a veteran woodsman just trying to get through your workday, there's always a place at our campfire for you. Speaking of the fire, we would love it if you guys would join our growing Patreon community and be a part of the best and only digital deer camp south of Mason and Dixon Line. Come on. If you'd like and learn more, click on the link in the show notes. But for now, Walt, welcome, welcome to, to the fire. fire. And I hung that last stick and climbed on it and it slid down like two feet down the tree. And it was just like two giant bolt marks all the way just dug yeah. and just, just green as can be. Yeah. Um, and it slid. I mean, I, I would hardly say that's a, that's not really a malfunction. It's more of it's more of just something that it's a tough tree to climb. A, Smooth bark trees are tough, man. That's yeah, that's a that's, it's hard I, with any stick. I climb uh magnolias pretty often that are wet. And that bark is kind of peely mm-hmm. to begin with. And there's more than one time that I'll put weight on it. And you kind of learn. You put weight on it and you let it shift a little bit. And then you put a little more weight on it. And then you're like, okay, I'm good to go. Uh, same thing with like, yeah. um, uh, I'm going to say shag, shag, I guess shag bark trees too. But um, shortleaf pine trees have like a really flaky bark. And so like a lot of times you'll put weight yeah. on that and it's just like, boom. And it, it's it's not the stick's fault. There's no, You couldn't get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't get it tight enough to not have it slide like. But you mentioned that the tethered one sticks do not do that. I have, I, mm-hmm. I think for me, uh, I have used like daisy chain type attachments mm-hmm. for sticks. Yep. And sometimes they're great. Like I, that's what I on it. That's what I had on the custom gear sticks before I had the ones and um, the daisy chains. I, I get it. They're convenient. They're a little bit easier, but that um, what's, what's the system? What's the, the attachment system called? I can't remember for the, the one sticks, the tethered, loop thing that little figure eight deal you know what i'm talking about <sighs> yeah no i do Jesus it has a Christ. name we're terrible at, yeah. at at doing an, an ad because i don't know what it's called um it's something locked. i hit record by the way i don't know if you noticed i didn't know i hit record because <laughs> because i felt i felt like i felt like walt that um the tree stand safety stuff is is good to talk about i really do i think um, yeah we're at the end of the season people have shared stories i i can think i know of three or four people, one guy here close, you know, that fell from a tree and broke his back. Yep. Um, or like it's, it happens every year. We're at the end of the season and, uh, it is super avoidable. You're a little bit more of a stickler on it than I am. Oh, pun but, intended. Uh, stickler. Yeah. But yes, yeah, yeah, good one. <laughs> um, but the one sticks with that attachment method. And I, I also had it with, um, I can't, I guess it was the, the Hawk sticks. I could, I felt like I could tighten that a little bit mm-hmm. better. It's what it was. It was the rope mod. When I did the rope mod. Dynalock. Um, Dynalock. Yes. That's what it's called. Uh, you're able to actually tighten it. And, and with the, with the tethered system, particular with the am steel, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like it's a little bit more like it digs into the tree a little bit more. It has more of a cut. And mm-hmm. so, and then you can get some leverage, you know, and pull it underneath. And then start your your Dynalock figure eight thing, yeah. Um, and that has kept those sticks in place even on the smooth bark tree. Like you say, yeah. it's it's hard to climb a smooth bark tree. It is, but it has not been an issue in the last, I guess, 
three seasons since those came out since I got those. Um, so there's your tether dad. There's right your off the bat. Yep. And a smooth there's one your tether dad. You, the intro just did this and faded out, and our voices just faded in into a nice dialogue. I had no idea we were recording, and hopefully, I didn't say. Do you anything think it cancels it out when we talk about how good it was, though? No, I think I think it's kind of like <laughs> bragging about being a winner. Like everybody knows it, but you just kind of have to rub it in just a little bit more so they never forget it. <laughs> That's not exactly yeah, man. at all what you're supposed to do. Tree but. stand. I, I always had a I always had a fear yeah. when I was, when I was using a climber. Yeah. Because when I used a climber, I didn't use a harness. Um, That's the only time I've because, ever fallen. By the way, was out of a climber. Yeah. Well, there's so many different components that are mm-hmm. that are that can fail. Right. You got welds. Yeah. You've got straps. Uh, you got those chains or whatever they are mm-hmm. that, that get old, um, pins, you know, like there's so many things that can go wrong in a climber. And, and, and honestly, I, most people that I know that have hunted from a climber for their whole life have, have had close calls yeah. where they didn't get hurt, but they had something happen where they could have gotten hurt. Yep. And I'm just like, you know, I remember thinking sitting up in my climber, I just climbed a tree and it was a little bit sketchy of a tree. And I was like, man, it's my time's coming. <laughs> It's coming, yep. you know, yeah. and thankfully I was able to get into a saddle and I have not had that feeling since I got into a saddle. I've never been, I've had a couple sketchy climbs, mm-hmm. you know, difficult trees to climb and things, but, but man, I've never, I've never felt unsafe once I got, especially once you get harnessed in, like I just yeah. never, even if I fell. Like I've had those butt pucker moments, you know, where mm-hmm. you kind of, your weight shifts and you kind of swing. Um, I've had those, but I mean, I wasn't going to get hurt. <laughs> even if I, even if I had a heart attack and just passed out right there because I was scared, I just hung there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'd have been, uh, I'd have been it's, safe. It's funny. I am very much scared of heights and Matt is listening to this and probably laughing because he's seen it. Um, and I have like <laughs> some mild anxiety about falling, both having fallen myself, but also having my dad fall which, you know, I've talked about a lot of the podcast, but it's funny because back in 2018, when I got the Mantis, the OG Mantis, I was in my backyard, climbed up the tree. My wife is sitting there just adding all of this anxiety. Cause she's like, what are you doing hanging from a rope in a tree? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And I'm going through it all and I'm telling her and I'm inspiring confidence in myself and I'm up there in the tree and I'm just kind of swinging like everybody does when they're in their saddle, whether it's a veteran or not. Right. And I go to like, look over my left shoulder and I just step like off to the right, as if I just had platform for days. I think I just inspired that much confidence. Do you remember Greg making that post on Facebook about this? Kind of. And I stepped off and I swung right into the tree, whap, smack into the tree. And I'm like, I- I'm going to die. Like I'm dead. I fell out of my, and I'm like, oh wait, I haven't gone anywhere. And like my wife's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, no. I- you remember how I told you this thing was safe? Like, look at the stupid thing I just did. I just stepped off my platform <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and I've never once like all those jitters only occur when I'm sitting in the tree, like not in a moment, like when a deer's behind me and I have to do the drop shot, it's an extension of my body. I just, I lean against the yeah. ropes and I just, you know, it's, it's awesome. But speaking of tethered M2 vest, buy one. Yep. <laughs> We're getting, I mean, I think, I think it's easy for people to know where our minds are actually at. Like it's hard because we live in the South and, and deer season is really ramping up right now in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm actually editing a video from last year right now, uh, from January the 23rd and, uh, of, of 23. And, uh, 
it, it's tough. Like I, I told you guys this morning, I was trying to decide if I wanted to edit a turkey video. Yeah, I want to because I really want to. And I was like, hey, you know, we still got some, we got some late deer season stuff that that uh, I know there's a, a lot of people that want to want to see that kind of stuff, and so I'm gonna put that, I'm gonna edit that video up and put it up. But uh, I am in full blown turkey. Let's just let's just skip the BS. Let's let's stop talking about <laughs> these deer. They've given us a run for our money. Some we I've had a great season. You know, you've had a good season. Brett's had a great season. Matt's had like, let's stop. Okay, we're done. <laughs> we're good. We don't have to talk about these things anymore. And I know some people just really don't like this transition when, whenever podcasts start to transition into turkey stuff. But I'm here to tell you all, I'm here for it. And as much as I love saddles and as much as I love Tethered for the, the work that they've done in the saddle hunting space, um, I'm ready to talk about this in two vest. Maybe, maybe until spring is over. Does yeah. that sound like a good idea? Can our tethered so. ad just be about this, this in two mm-hmm. vest? Cause to be honest, man, like I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of over talking about deer hunting. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of that way too. We, it, we're recording this right now and our Patreon hunt is like next week. And so like, <laughs> I'm, I'm really much looking forward to, to camp hunt camp, but it really has so little to do about the deer. It's more about getting around everybody. It's, we get to do this only twice a year and it's just such a stinking good time. Um, but I'm with you. And I think, I think in that same breath, we need to be telling everybody about how awesome the M2 is, but also about how well those honeycomb custom three inch copper pots that we got for sale right now fit into that vest. That's right. Those things are, uh, wicked. Let's just say that this, I, I bet my wife is jealous of how much I fondle my Turkey calls, (laughs) but man, I'm going to tell you something. He makes a call that you can just keep pairing different things with it, different strikers, different different grips and postures. It is such a versatile freaking call. And he's got a limited run right now on his website of Florida pecan sourced, Florida sourced pecan, I should say, uh, pot calls that you can go on the website and buy. They're at Honeycomb Custom Calls, links in the show notes. Um, and he's got the JB special and the not safe for work, which I think it's hysterical, by the way, I got to listen to the honeycomb podcast. He couldn't remember his, the name of his own call and he had it all printed no, out and everything. It, it literally, no. So you want to hear what's funny? I was, what? I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the not safe for work, but he actually called it that other call. That's what no, he called he? It. it. That's what it says on the packaging. Yeah. It says, oh. or on his, <laughs> on his Instagram ad, he called it the, that other call. Cause nobody can remember nsfw oh. or whatever oh i didn't know that I when i see you. nsfw i i immediately think like i don't know why i think like only like adult adult yeah, film yeah. That's, all, that's all i can think of <laughs> um so when i first saw it i was like i don't even know what that means nsfw it just doesn't seem like it's good yeah it, well my, it seems like was, it seems sinful that was kind of the idea of the name though it's like i was right. there there's a call those two calls pair with themselves so well you've got the jb special and its ability to do all of the soft subtle things and and i'm and i'm going to say this right now because i get this question all the time even when people even from patrons that call you have got to apply as little tongue pressure and as little airflow as humanly possible you don't realize and and i wish i could name drop other calls without it being tacky but how much airflow you really need 
in those other calls comparatively. And so a lot of people are getting great sounds out of the JB because it has a great mid range, but it is so soft. Like you can whisper on that call, but Mm -hmm. the not safe for work is its own unique sound profile. You can really rip on that thing. And so when I was sitting here thinking about, you know, the names of the original series we did, the not safe for work kind of made sense because you can really kind of like, holler at them you know it's 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 kind of like a cat call of sorts and so um for me it was just a nice <laughs> little nice little pairing there but i'm I'm glad i'm glad he changed the name honestly it gives it some fresh life yeah well it, uh, did he change the name it, i don't know it seems like he just called it that other call <laughs> i think it's just called that other call that's that's funny <laughs> let's see here we'll pull i'm, it up I'm pretty sure that's what this. it is um yeah, we we don't know what we're talking about uh, with most of the products <laughs> that we're going to talk about. Um, and this one actually has our logo on it. Look at that! But it yeah. is true. Like the JB Special kind of got all the love yeah. uh, last year, and and um, and, <laughs> he did and, he I changed mean, dude, it to I, that other call on the website? That's funny. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I thought he did. Um. That's good to know. That's good to know. I, I I didn't actually realize it was the not safe for work. That was that the that other call. Yeah. Um. Because I actually liked the the not safe for work. I used it. Um. When I wasn't using the JB special, I was using that one because, like you said, I could get some really good tone. I could get some yeah. of those. I could still do some of the soft clucks and and whines and things if I really really uh mm-hmm. worked on it. But so it it was pretty versatile. Uh, but I could definitely cut like on that, mm-hmm. the not safe for work or the, that other call I could cut really, really hard. And I could expect that it was going to be obnoxiously loud and still sound yeah. good. Uh, so yeah. people definitely need to go check out, check out those calls. Um, again, yeah, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking right now, they've got only seven of the Soko coppers left. So if you're looking for a pot call, it's a copper over slate. Uh, in a Florida source pecan. In fact, shout out to Graybeard and uh, Chris for bringing me that that pecan from their farm. Um, you got seven of them there left. They're good calls, man. Heck yes. Well, I just got a a, a brand new bow set up the mm-hmm. other day. Um, it's the Bowtech Core SS, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I've got to tell you, buddy, uh, I'm not going to use it for turkeys. It, it actually um, it hurts my feelings when people talk about mm-hmm. shooting turkeys with a bow. Um, mostly it doesn't hurt my feelings. Like people think talking about shooting it for themselves, just thinking about me trying to hunt a turkey with a bow, <laughs> it hurts my feelings. <laughs> you know, yeah. like like I think we're gonna have I think we're gonna have Jordan Barnes on here sometime yep. soon. Uh, to chat about bow hunting for turkeys, and that guy's insane. He kills more turkeys with a bow than I kill with a shotgun. Um, but I'm, 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 again, I'm having these conflicts of interest in my life right now because it's still deer season and I still want to think about bows and I still want to think about saddles and I still like, I've just got a brand new saddle that I'm, that I'm hunting out of right now, you know, Mm -hmm. and I just also got this brand new core SS that I'm, that I'm using. I got tuned up. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of having a conflict conflict of interest because i'm super jacked about this bow brett got his set up before i did because i was on the tour yeah uh, and he kept saying he had a few things that he said over and over and over again about this core ss is that one of the things was that it was so stable once he got on target he could not get off of it um 
that is something that I like it would, it's kind of hard to get used to if I'm being honest with you, like not, not kind of wobbling a little bit. That bow mm-hmm. is so stable due to the center mass technology that it's got. Like, and, and, and when you think about a whole system, the IMS rest the center, center mass, uh, technology with the site and then the tight spot quiver, you really, you, you have virtually nothing hanging off the sides of that bow. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's just a slim, slim line package. And so once you get to full draw and you're like, there's nothing pulling you either way. It's amazing. And, and so that was, that wasn't one thing. The other thing was that this bow was tuned in like 10 arrows tuned and sighted into 40 yards in like 10 arrows I actually feel kind of, I felt kind of bad taking it into the woods. Cause I was like, like i haven't shot it enough but i mm-hmm. i mean it was like dead nuts at 40 you know yep. like i was shooting better than i ever have and i say all that to say um you know there's a lot of good bows out there there really are there's a lot of great bows there's a lot of good flagship bows man some of the bows that we used from Botech this past season were phenomenal there's a lot of great bows but if you're looking for a bow that number one you can tune quickly i've had tuning issues in the past Mm-hmm. Uh, my build, my size, my draw length. I've had issues. Um, this bow seems to have solved those issues for me. Um, if you're looking for a bow that you can tune yourself, if you're a, if you're a nerd like Brett is, if you're an archery nerd and you like to do all the stuff yourself, there's, n- there's not a better bow on the market. There's not a more easily tunable bow on the market than the Bowtech. And specifically, they just introduced the time lock um, and then the, uh, again, we, we know nothing of what we're talking about. It's the time lock and the, uh, cam lock, uh, is that what it is? Is it cam lock, cam lock and time lock time locks, a new version. They had cam lock last year, but I think it's the time lock that they, they introduced. They have both year. of them now. They still have, yeah. they have both of them. Then and they Alan have Ridge lock. tuned your entire dead gumbo. Absolutely. Um, and like I said, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot when it comes to bow stuff. Like I'm not, I'm not that smart. And Aside from this first initial tune, I feel confident that from here on out, I'll be able to do anything I need to on that bow because it's it's so easy to adjust. I don't have a bow press, I don't have anything like that. But man, I'm I gotta say, dude, I I am blown away, and you know as well as I do, Walt, that it I'm not easily blown away most mm-hmm. of the time. Like like if there's like a small little thing, I'm like flip that little <laughs> that little problem, you know. I've, I'm pretty particular. I'm not, I'm not, I try not to get impressed easily. And, uh, this bow is man, next level, freaking next level. It, it's funny what you said, because everything you've said, I've heard you say before. And, and I thought myself, the only thing I hadn't heard you say before that I thought myself was the bit about you felt bad taking it out because I felt the same way about that, that diamond deploy SB. I've said that like every episode yeah. now, but like it, it is one of those things where when it's an extension of you, it's an extension of you and, and the bows are clearly made and, don't, and we have to give credit to Kanadi because they make a freaking stellar arrow that just does exactly what you need it to do. But I was in the backyard, you know, and we talked earlier this summer. It's really funny. We talked earlier this summer and somebody asked in the Patreon group, Hey, how long does it take you to set in your bow? And I was like, a couple hours. Right. And Matt's like, the hell with that, man. It normally only takes me about 20 minutes to have the whole thing dialed in and ready for elk. And I'm like, wow, I guess I just really suck. And I, I don't necessarily <laughs> know that I suck, but 
I don't know that I've ever had a bow with the level of confidence and the setup with the level of, of integrity and like in, in frictionless pieces that I've had to where I could shoot 20 arrows and be like, holy crap, I've got this thing locked in. You know, I had mm-hmm. my bow set to 28, which is normally what I draw. It needed to be shortened just a touch, so I, I waited about a week longer. I could have done, I could have shot, but in like a, a compromised position, it would have kind of left me a little overextended. So I moved it back down to twenty seven and a half inches, and dude, it, it's lights out to forty. I mean, like I'm not shooting at the same dot at forty. I have, I have got a big forty eight inch bag target that I've got in the backyard. I've got four or five different dots on that thing that I shoot at because I'm not. First off, I like my Kanadi arrows too much, but I, I don't want to just bust arrows at this point. It's it's awesome, yeah. man. It's when you, when you work with people who have frictionless setup setups, like tethered, like Bowtech, you're starting to hopefully see a theme, a theme with the people we work with. They remove those friction points to where you just get to enjoy the, the process of hunting and being outside or shooting, whatever it is, and not worried about your stuff. Well, I think, I think it goes without saying, you know, we've talked on, on this podcast a lot about our Patreon group and, and the guys who are on it, always offering feedback, always you know, and I feel like we, we have a pretty good, um, pretty good bead on the demographic of people who listen to this show. Um, uh, and yeah. ultimately what it comes down to, we have a lot of people who listen to, to our show, watch our content, whatever, who are working class people. Um, mm-hmm. many of them work nine to five jobs, you know, uh, some of them are factory employees, and things like that. The reality is, is most people don't have the time to invest into being as hardcore into into the outdoor stuff and arrow building and bow tuning as as some of us are. They don't literally don't have the time, and so that's why we tend to work with the companies that do things just like this. Yeah. And um, you know, we hope to see more of that in the future. Uh, I can tell you one thing, Walt. I am going to have a hard time giving this bow, <laughs> giving this bow up. Yeah for him that's right. awesome yeah well you talk about a guy that's got everything simplified down to a easy to follow process it's shane simpson which is this week's guest and i i mean that both kind of tongue-in-cheek because the guy is such a complex turkey hunter but he's so simplified you guys are going to hear i mean he's using the same shotguns that he's had with the same rattle can paint job with the same face paint and and i i sincerely he doubt he's changed much uh, but as a, while his approach is, is complex, the system and the way he goes about it is so simple. He hunts out of a fanny pack, even with all of his camera gear. Um, and the guy has forgotten in the last two seasons more about turkey hunting than I ever will learn in my entire lifetime. I mean, the guy is just unbelievable. And I have had the fortune of meeting him in person in a like one-on-one space where I could talk to him and, and pick his brain. And every year I get to chat with him personally and I'm very lucky to do so. And I, so as a result, I was thrilled to be able to bring him to you guys again this week. Parker, you couldn't make it, but the JB special did. And uh, we had a good time. Man, I'm looking forward to hearing this episode. I was pretty bummed that I didn't get to uh, get to be on this one. I was filming a project for a buddy of mine doing a 40 mile ultra run in the five Mm -hmm. degree weather it was pretty wild so i was i was a little bit preoccupied really wanted to think about and talk about turkeys but i wasn't able to so uh shane is always one of my favorite interviews that i've ever been able to do um just an easy cool guy to talk to and he knows what the heck he is talking about when it comes to turkeys and uh, and i also appreciate how um how he is he 
he's so detailed when we when we start talking about tactics, start talking about gear, like you said, he has everything down to a science and he is not um hesitant to share any of that. And that's that's no. one of the things I've always appreciated about Shane is his willingness to share and educate. Uh so dude, I am freaking looking forward to this one. And take people. Every year you watch his YouTube channel, he finds <laughs> several people to take and I mean, has a great time with it. I, I can't think of a better role model in this space than Shane Simpson. And That's right. so uh, we're going to have a whole lot of fun talking to him. I hope you guys enjoy it. This intro has gone on long enough. Let's put a pin in it right there. Yes, sir. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, Almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, everybody, we are back with another episode with a guest that I had on it feels like I've had him on every year and it's a, it's a delight. There are some people that, you know, you, you could, you could take and sit at a campfire with either some oysters or a beverage of your choice and just pick their brain and talk and talk and talk. And you never run out of things that you, that you just run from topic to topic and it'd be a great dialogue. And so I'm hoping today's an extension of that. No pressure, Shane. Uh, but, uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to be talking Turkey with, with the one and only Shane Simpson. I got Joey Bell here with me. Gentlemen, as I sit, we are exactly on the nose two months away from turkey season. And uh, if it wasn't for an upcoming deer hunt I have planned, I would have it all put away. Uh, my turkey gun would be sleeping with me next to you know in, next to the bedside, and and I'd just be living for opening day. Uh, Shane, I don't know if you can get into that groove as cold as it is up there right now. I actually, over my left shoulder, I have my twelve gauge uh, torn apart, getting it ready for turkey season. I was putting a I was moving my red dot on it, and uh, then I decided to start cleaning it. So yeah, I'm I'm in turkey mode. I've been editing turkey videos, so I've I've got the bug pretty bad right now. But it's, yeah, it's, I, I think cold it's weather cold does out. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cabin I, it's uh, this time every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I, I feel like there's like a, a view to spring where everything's green, and but before you have that green up, you have to have something looking not not green and so it's yeah. it's about this time of year you start looking forward to things looking like spring again but um, that definitely i, I that appreciate definitely, the fact that sorry there must be a delay here <laughs> yeah i think so i'll start i'll start slowing down just to accommodate go ahead buddy 
I was going to say that it definitely gets me ho- more hyped for uh, spring with the winters in Minnesota because they're so brutally cold and it's you know, you're basically stuck indoors for three or four months. And so turkey season, that you know, the green up and warmer weather really makes it. Uh, I think going through that winter makes makes you appreciate the spring so much more. Yeah, we're getting a little taste of that. Uh, We're getting a little taste of that here in Tennessee. We got seven inches of snow yesterday, and we woke up to single-digit temps this morning, and it's not going to get above freezing for the next few days. So we're getting a little taste of it. We're all holed up in here, too. I can't leave my house for the foreseeable future. (laughs) There's one snowplow in the whole county, I think. (laughs) You realize that you guys, seven inches, you have more snow than we've had all winter up here? It's been a drought. I think I remember you saying something like that when I talked to you on the phone uh, when we were chatting about that the owl hooter or whatever you were saying. Yeah, so we've uh, we've gotten. I think we've had like three snowfalls, and each of them were about an inch or less. And the first two were gone pretty much the next day. This this one now we've got it's like an inch of snow. It's stuck around just because it's so brutally cold up here. It's not going anywhere. But uh, this is well. I mean, you're talking about we we normally have a foot and a half, two feet of snow on the ground by now. We we've got nothing on the ground but a dusting, a dusting. Man, you uh, you were saying you were uh, tearing apart your twelve gauge. Are you switching back to a twelve gauge this year? I thought you knew you usually uh, or you, at least you shot a twenty. Was it last year or sometime in the past? No, I have I have a twenty gauge I carry as a backup. I've 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 shot oh, a couple okay. birds with it in the past, but I don't really hunt with it. It's primarily just if my twelve gauge breaks, I've got a gun in with me that I can hunt with. So when I'm, especially when I'm out traveling, but it's hard for me to give up my twelve gauge, even though it you know it has rec- you know more recoil. It's a bigger gun, you know, and I probably don't need all that gun. When you've when you've hunted with it for so long, it becomes a part of you. I just I love carrying it, um, and I know it, you know, front and back. But I am I am making some changes to it just because I missed a couple birds last year, and that gets mentally that gets under my you know gets to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I move them like I said. I move my red dot out from where it's normally mounted, where the holes are tapped right above the receiver. I have one of those Meadow Creek mounts, and I mounted it out on the rib, so it's mm-hmm. it's it's uh, above my pump. Actually, the pump uh, where you put your hand, um, mm-hmm. and with that, you get more accuracy. The farther away the red dot is from your eye, the more accurate it is. So even if you kind of flinch a little bit, um, you're still on. And um, yeah, and I put a, a more open choke in my gun. I'm I'm trying everything I can to quit missing. I don't know what it is. I keep. <laughs> also, I've, 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 I miss more lately than I have ever in my life, and it's bothering me. And I'm trying to. It out may of, just be out of me curiosity. Me. What? 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 What do you consider? So, like, again, new. I'm of the group here. I don't even really deserve to be speaking, but I'm just curious from a from like a turkey choke perspective. I've got a pattern that I think is great at forty, and I wouldn't shoot past that. It's kind of open personally like what do you have in that gun do you have like a, a last year did you have like a 60 yard choke in there or or like how open did you get um well i've been running the factory choke for for years which is a 670 um and that's a pretty open choke and it shoots you know it gives yeah. me a pattern at 
we'll say 20, 20, 25 yards. That's big, about the size of a basketball, the core of the pattern, which I've been okay with, but I don't like it that tight. That doesn't sound tight to some mm-hmm. people. Some people like a baseball at that mm-hmm. range. Um, I actually put a, a slightly bigger, like a six, seven, five in there. And that didn't open it much at all. And that's the thing with TSS. So TSS, the choke doesn't play a huge part or as much of a part as lead shot, uh, uh, shot shells do. Um, so what I have in it now, I went through rummage through all my chokes that I have. I actually have, I think it's a modified or something that I have in it right now that I'm going to go shoot. I'm just trying to get a, at 30 yards, I want a nice evenly distributed, distributed pattern that's bigger than a basketball at 30 yards because most of the turkeys I shoot are inside 30 yards. Most of them actually are within 20 yards. I mean, they're tight. And you know, the last two Mm -hmm. turkeys, this is what's odd though. I missed, I missed uh, a couple birds last year. One was at like 35 yards. One was at 20. And in between those two misses, I killed two birds less than 20 yards away and, and, you know, hit them, you know, no, no issue at all. And you'd think at a farther mm-hmm. distance with the pattern open a little bit more, I wouldn't miss, but I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Now I was in an odd position on the first miss. And in the second one, I think he just dodged it. He darted behind a tree right when I shot. So it's not entirely my fault. I don't think just looking at the footage, but it certainly gets, gets, gets mentally gets to me. What load are you shooting, Shane? Um, I have a, a, a variety of loads, uh, 8x10s, TSS, and uh, straight 9s, and uh, some 9x10s. So I, I kind of play around with each of those. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I like having more pellets, you know, a lot of pellets. It just makes me feel good that I'm covering every little square inch. No, there's no gaps. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I don't know. I'm, I got a bunch of different loads here. I got some hand loads that are number eights. I got some, um, you know, some nine, the blends and all that good stuff. And I'm going to go shoot them and just see what gives me the best confidence after I shoot a couple rounds of each. Um, it gets really expensive. So I'm going to just shoot a couple rounds of each. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I ran a, uh, a 670 choke out of my 12 gauge for years. I probably, 20 years nearly as long as I had the gun. And, uh, I'm like you, I, I loved having all the pellets that I could fit into a shell. So for a couple of years, I shot a three and a half inch federal, the eight, eight by 10 blend. And there was a thousand mm-hmm. pellets in that thing. And, uh, it threw a pretty good pattern, you know, even with the, with the six seventy, I think there was just so many pellets that I still had way too many strays. Cause I was just getting way too many pellets in the meat. Even though I had a yeah. really good core pattern, there were just so many pellets. Like there, there just wasn't space for them to go, I guess. So they had to go somewhere. So that's where I got a bunch of flyers. And then last year, I dropped down to a three-inch. I think it was straight nines or something, and my patterns got a lot better. And uh, and actually, before uh, this season, it was at, between. It was after last season. Uh, I didn't really know that at the time I was going to switch guns, but I went on Apex's website and I got a two and three quarter. Uh, shell uh i forget it may have been nines or whatever but it still had you know way more pellets than you would get in a you know three to three and a half inch number six shot you know lead shell 
And I was actually going to use that, but then I made the switch to a twenty ga- a twenty eight gauge uh, this year, and so I got to get it back from Gunsmith uh, and uh, start patterning with it. But I think there is a break point uh, of having too many pellets. Even it doesn't matter what choke you have, like you said, the six seventy, maybe even the six seventy five. It when you cr- when you try to shoot a thousand pellets down range, it's I think it just has a hard time. Just holding like together. Big, That's big almost just too much. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I'm, I think if you I'm just drop of, down in you know shell size and, and pellet size, then it just makes a little bit more room and it it's more efficient. I think. Yeah, I've I've had some good results with with TSS number eights. You know, and um, mm-hmm. and and I look at the pellet counts. So, you know the, what it looks like on paper. I'm not counting the pellets, but I'm looking at how dense right. the pattern is with the nines and tens. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to go back to eights. But then I tell myself, you know, Shane, you hunted for the first 20 years or whatever of your life. Turkeys, you hunted with number six lead. And and yep. you thought that was fine. And there was people sh- hunting with number four, number five lead. And, you're, I, you know, I would never go to that size pellet because, you know, to me, that's not enough pellets in the gun, in a shot shell for turkeys. I want, yep. I want some pattern density. But at the same time, I keep telling mm-hmm. myself number eights is perfectly fine. And I always worry mm-hmm. about um, getting too small TSS that I'm losing effectiveness. You're, you're, you're throwing, yeah. you know, the energy by the calculations, the energy is there. But it still bothers me because I've seen instances of turkeys that have a delayed response after getting hit with TSS. I think those pellets just zip yeah. right through them. There's no um, impact or energy energy being transferred. And so it's the mm-hmm. was the trauma is slightly delayed before it actually, you know, hemorrhaging and and and, and just killing them. Um, so I had one that actually right. shot, and he he took like two flaps into the air, like he was getting ready to get out of there, and then he just fell to the ground. I'm like, uh, that, that gives me some mm. concern, you know. So um, I may yeah, end and especially up when you get going to- number eight. Yeah, when uh, you got you got some guys that shoot them at. Uh, those you know, longer ranges, <laughs> longer ranges like fifty to sixty yards, and you're throwing a number ten TSS pellet. Like you said, the energy is there, but just uh, you know that tiny of a pellet going that far, it just can't do mm-hmm. that much damage. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you there. I need I need a little bit more energy and a little bit bigger uh, projectile. I guess we should say. Yep. My whole logic so on it is I want to I want I'm with you on the pellet count just because I know there's a lot of people who are really upset about TSS and the range it provides, but I only get to hunt Saturday and Sunday mornings. And if I can put three, four times as many pellets inside a range, because my furthest shot is 56 yards. My average is 26 yards. And the 56, I've told her story on the podcast. I didn't mean to take that shot. I thought he was a lot closer than he was. He was just in the wide open, in the pines, new turkey hunter. Um, but most of my shots are up close. And so I, I tend to go for like a, you know, Clay loads those eight and a half for me. Eight and a half has kind of been the sweet spot for me. And I've got like a, a solid 30 inch pattern at 40 yards where it's just, you can't put a neck and a turkey head in there with that 20 gauge without, you know, maybe it's 24 inches probably now that I think about it, where I've just got that forgiveness up, down, left, right. If I punch the trigger out of excitement, I, at least I know. Cause it's hard, especially down here with all the, with all the pressure we get it. If you get an opportunity, I want that, that confidence, but I cannot take the kick of that 12, man. That thing is just brutal. 
So uh, I do have, you, know, you were talking about the 20, I do have my 20 gauge. I actually have all my guns in this room right now. I'm, I'm tinkering with all of them. I have, I say all my guns, my daughter's guns and my guns. I have her youth model 20, which is a, a little, it's like 24 inches long total. You know, it's a teeny gun. It's a 20 gauge. Wow. And then it's a, the Mossberg <laughs> mini Bantam. And then she, her 410 is about the same length. I mean, I could have that thing on my shoulder, you know, on a, what do you call it? The sling and tossed over my back and you will not see the mm-hmm. gun at all behind my back. It's that small. Um, <laughs> and I've, I'm tinkering with, you know, using those just for the less recoil. And because it's such a small gun, I can just, I can see me maneuvering through the woods. I'm getting, I don't know if you've noticed over the years, I carry less and less every year. I try to carry less and less um, <laughs> gear. I, I'm trying to get down to just a shotgun and a mouth call, you know, uh, aside from the camera equipment. And um, I'm like, yeah, I should take this little mini Bantam 20 gauge. It'd be less recoil. It's a smaller gun. Um, I don't know. I just, just things I think about, I guess. <laughs> I probably don't need to. And then, but the, you're talking about that recoil, the 20 gauge. I, I sometimes think that is part of the reason I'm missing also is I've gotten uh recoil shy or something. I think I'm, anticipating that kick and I'm, I'm flinching or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Really out, so, out in the field. You think you, you still have that flinch. I, I can understand it. Cause I have the same thing, you know, well, when you're on the I range have, or whatever, I was, I was editing one of my videos and, and I can look at it for, you know, I have those uh, angles from different, from action cameras from different angles. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're not at a high enough flame frame rate where I can watch it in slow motion, but I can flick frame by frame and in one hunt where I didn't miss, I did kill the turkey. I did notice that right when I went, to, right as my tr- finger is squeezing the trigger, my head shifts. Like it's trying to like look up mm. and see if I killed the turkey mm. or, or, or anticipating the shot or something. In one frame, I can see my head just shift ever so slightly off the, off the, the, the stock. And I'm like, Ooh, mm-hmm. I bet I'm moving my head, and that's why I may have missed. Um, back to my Mossberg, um, one thing I haven't taken apart, uh, before I put it back together, I'm waiting on a, a new trigger spring and um, trigger assembly springs, hammer spring, trigger spring. It's going to reduce the pool from the factory eight and three-quarter pounds down to four pounds. Um, I think that will help, too, because my, my gun does, even when I'm sighting it in or patterning it, my gun, it takes a lot of effort to pull that trigger. And I think that's contributing mm-hmm. to misses. Um, so I don't know. Hopefully mm-hmm. I can get over this, solve this problem and stop missing turkeys. I, I don't, I used to, when I was younger, I would go seasons without missing turkeys. Now it seems like I have at least one miss a season, which is to me ridiculous. Mm. I see a lot of people nowadays that are uh, changing the trigger springs out on their shotguns. And I did it last year on my Benelli, and, and that was the first thing I did with this new uh, 28 gauge. Is I switched out the trigger spring, and it makes a world of difference because you're. I think from the factory, a lot of these shotguns, they are pulling like you know six and seven pound triggers sometimes. You know, and it takes when you just sit there and, and dry fire it, you realize it takes a lot of pressure just to pull the trigger. And so when you couple that with recoil anticipation or whatever, yeah, it's very understandable how, you know, misses happen and flinching and everything else. 
but it uh, I think they do it as like a safety thing. You know, I guess yeah. coming from the factory, probably, they don't want to like uh, Not a legal thing, but a uh, to prevent loss liability or something. Yeah, yeah, liability. Yeah. I mean, I wish I'd, I wish I'd put a uh, thinking back on this. I wish I'd put a, a, a lesser spring on my daughter's guns when she first mm-hmm. started hunting. She had to use two fingers to pull the trigger just to shoot it. Oh wow! You know, it's you know, Mossberg. Like I said, it's it's nearly a nine pound factory. Mm-hmm. Ooh, which is a lot yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah well they make it easy nowadays i think it's m carbo that's the company that uh had well, that's where i got mine from springs yeah that's yep. where i got mine from. and it's super easy to change out you know they have a lot of videos that you know, step by step on how to how to do this and i was a little intimidated at first uh before i did my benelli last year but i mean you get you a couple punches from the hardware store and Punch those out, drop the trigger, you know. Uh, no, you don't even need a punch. I mean, it, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just take yeah, Allen, yeah, you probably use an Allen, Allen wrench and just screwdriver or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It's pretty easy anything. to get apart. Um, yeah. Definitely, and so when definitely I did something that, you can do yourself. And absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it takes you, I mean, even if you're not that experienced, it'll take you less than 30 minutes, you know, at max. And that's probably being very generous. Mm. And is reversible. If you put that spring in there and you don't like it, you can put it back. You know, the old school means of, of filing down the, the trigger. Now you're looking at, did I take off too much? And my buddy called me because I, I said the same thing. It's funny you brought this up because this is something I was going to actually end up asking you as you went down that path. Uh, he was telling me how he likes four, four and a half on his 870. I think it's an 870 he's shooting. But that, and, uh, but he was telling me how he had to order a new kit one time because he's, he's, he's filing it down and he's like, I, I breathed too much and it's like a two and a half, you know, pound trigger suddenly and so when i looked at those m carbo kits like you talked about i got one for my my deer rifle come in i've got one for uh the 320 i think as well uh or the 87 i should say um but i was i was hesitant and then I, I watched the tutorial i'm like oh man i just take this bolt off and put the spring on there and put it yeah. back together and if i don't like it you know i can't screw this up you know yeah that's exactly what i did i watched their i was searching you know i was on google searching around like how to reduce the the trigger you know sensitivity or increase the sensitivity i guess <laughs> just make it easier to to fire and i stumbled on one of their mm. videos and watched their tutorials and i'm like yeah i'm getting that i mean reducing my my pool by more than half um like you said joey i think um even if i am still flinching the gun's going off before i have a chance to flinch or at least yeah. that's the hope mm-hmm. um but it's still my trigger because I have a little set screw, I can adjust the the take up in the trigger. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna leave that because I mm-hmm. always keep that in there. I like to be able to touch the trigger and pull it back. It's like an eighth of an inch, and know that my finger's on yeah. there. You know, and uh, so it's still mm-hmm. it's very safe. It's just I think it's gonna eliminate some of that flinch uh, flinch missing if that's what I'm doing. You uh, you seem to be pretty, you know. I don't want to say set in your ways, but you've been pretty consistent and the things that you've done over the years, you know, just watching your videos and how you turkey hunt and how you approach traveling. Uh, what are some things that maybe have changed over the years as far as either gear or tactics, you know, with the, with so much information available to us nowadays, has there been anything that you've changed over the years that you maybe used to not do or that you don't do anymore that you used to do? Well, I mean, other than the gear, like I don't use decoys anymore. I don't, I don't use a turkey vest anymore. I, f- I found that, um, mm. 
sitting on the ground on my my butt is more comfortable than any pad out there on any turkey vest um and that was just i guess that's the way i was taught you know and i had to have a vest when i first started turkey hunting when i was a kid and uh, i never sat without one and then one day i just i was hunting without one i couldn't i couldn't sit with one for some reason the way the tree there was like roots or something i forget what it was and i just mm-hmm. sat down there and i was like you know what my butt didn't go numb i didn't have to constantly shift um, obviously you eventually you're going to have to move and you're going to, but I was like, this was much more comf- comfortable at a longer period of time than a, any vest. So I quit, I quit using a pad to sit on. Um, I, I did try, I started using a, you know, that, um, fanny pack, a, a tactical fanny pack with a bunch of little pockets and stuff. Um, that was my mm-hmm. go-to and then and then tether come out with that m2 vest and so i tried that out last year i like that first thing i did was take the pad the turkey seat pad off of it and throw it in the box and i don't hunt with it um <laughs> i'm torn whether to i like that vest it's a very good vest i can carry a lot of camera equipment and a lot of extra batteries but i do carry my little fanny pack with me because i probably will hunt with it occasionally and not carry the m2 on those hunts where i, I know i can get by with even less gear um, as far as actual hunting, what have I changed? You know, I have Onyx, uh, you know, and other mapping apps are out there these days. Um, that certainly has played in a part in the way I hunt. Um, I'm more, I guess, aggressive in areas I go to knowing what it looks like ahead of time. Back in the day, I used to use paper maps and stuff and they were just basically color coded like, it would be green to represent trees and then like white and, you know, different things like that. And you just, anybody's guess what was back there. So it, it's definitely made me more aggressive and, and more willing to go deeper. Um, knowing that, you know, it's not such a mystery way back in there to some of these spots. And it's definitely helped me, uh, pinpoint areas that most likely have turkeys. quicker. <laughs> You know, it's it's funny. I'm I'm a big fan of your YouTube channel, largely because I feel like you're a no nonsense turkey hunter. There's a lot of guys out there with, and I'm not trying to throw shade per se, but um, when you start toting camera gear, you start having to prioritize what matters. And I like to self film, obviously, and so I find myself paring down more and more. And I watch how you go about things, and you're you're, you're very minimalist. You're very old school with the face paint. And I love that because I hate having a mask over my ears and I'm a big fan of, of, of painting up whenever, uh, I don't have to potentially jump on a zoom call. If you can read between the lines. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, (laughs) but it's interesting to me. I, last year I went with a chest harness. So I got the marsupial chest harness and I put a little monocular on one side, my locator calls on the left side. And then basically if I could fit it in there after camera batteries and stuff like that, it went in there and I feel like I had a lot more fun that way because I didn't feel heavy. I actually, I got their hydration pack as well. So for longer hunts, I could have some water on me because down here, that's kind of imperative. And everybody in the group, my little so- social group was laughing and laughing and laughing about me, about how I was making the, such a, a mountain out of a molehill trying to go minimalist. And uh, then I started hunting with them and, and I threw that on. They're like, that's all you're taking. I was like, it's all right here, man. I got my extra batteries. I got my, my ZV one. I got the whole nine. And uh, I think Parker at the end of, of a couple of days, like, man, that's a pretty sweet little setup there. He's like, Where, where'd you get that? And so um, hopefully, hopefully that's something a lot of people can think about. Cause 
I've got buddies. I'll take 30 pounds of turkey calls into the woods with them. I'm like, that's got to mess your, mess your like mindset up when you get tired. Being, uh, going minimal, minimalist, um, or carrying as little as possible. There's, there's, there's a lot of advantages to it. I mean, just watch turkey videos, watch my videos, watch people I hunt with. Um, let's touch on the face paint first. I, I hate, I've always hated wearing a face mask. It's just that I was embarrassed to use face paint because, you know, you're going to the store after you hunt and you got all that stuff on you. I've gotten to the age now. I don't give a shit what people think, what I look like. I go and I go turkey hunting and I've got face paint all over me. I go into the convenience store and I just walk right in there and they, oh, I get all kinds of looks, but I don't care because, you know, I'm out there to kill a turkey. I'm just stopping in the store to get something to eat. Um, but you watch as far as the amount of gear you carry, it does affect your hunting. It affects how you hunt. Let's let's touch on decoys. I used to use decoys. And, and you know, you got a gobbler there. Now you've got to move out there and set up a decoy. And and then you back away from them. You get set up. The turkey's not coming in for whatever reason. Now you need to make a move. And that it, that's affecting how you think about your next move or or whether you move or not. Now you got to crawl out there and try to get this decoy without getting busted and pack it away and then move on the bird or just leave it there. Um, and that was one of the reasons I got rid of using those is because, um, you know, it just affected my ability to, to be, I guess, a, a stealthy in the woods or a killer in the woods. You know what I mean? Uh, trying to move, um, be the, the top tier predator. You know, I, if I can just use woodsmanship and move around without having to worry about extra gear or ground blind or decoy, that really worked to my advantage. And a lot of people don't think about that. You know, people throw shade on people for using ground blinds. Uh, you got to hunt out of a ground blind. I look at it as they're mm-hmm. giving themselves a disadvantage because, yeah, you can move around more inside of a blind without getting busted, but you got to tote that thing. It's going to affect your decision when to move and where to move to. Um, it's a huge mm-hmm. advantage not to hunt with one. So if anybody throws shade at somebody for using a ground blind, they're putting themselves at a disadvantage is what I think they're doing. Um and then you look at guys using these big vests and stuff. I used to use carry a turkey vest, a big vest. They sit down on the little padded seat. They still have their straps on their vest. That affects their movement when they're swinging a gun. Um, first thing you need to do is you know shed those straps when you sit down on the turkey. Um, look at the brush that that vest grabs as you're trying to you know crawl on your hands and knees to get ten yards closer to a different tree. All that stuff, it's not just going, you know, carrying less gear to be lighter, which it does allow you to conserve energy and hunt longer and go farther, but it uh, allows you to be more stealthy in the woods and, and, and doesn't affect your decision making to as much a, to a degree. If you would just go out there, you know, imagine going out there with just, you know, just wearing pants and a shirt and uh, carrying a shotgun and a mouth call, how much easily you could move through the woods without all the extra stuff, you know, everything, everything Mm -hmm. affects your hunt. I am a big proponent of a seat pad though. (laughs) Just personally, because (laughs) I don't know. I've always, I've always had a a Hank Hill ass, you know, just, I just hardly ever had one. (laughs) And then, uh, 
here to here in the last several months i've lost like 40 pounds so it even went away even further so if i sit down on a on a seat cushion my hip bones are touching the you know the the bottom of of that uh of that uh, chair that i'm sitting in no matter what uh, those little donuts like my buddy doug updike carries this this little (laughs) inner two little miniature (laughs) inner two he says those things are so comfortable (laughs) That's like for a hemorrhoid or something. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> so if you see somebody rolling through the woods with a, with a bottom land donut, that'll be me. I'm just going to blame Shane Simpson for giving me the, the idea. <laughs> you know, you know, I have a, uh, uh, I bought a, a hammock and a, and a, um, Good Lord, sleeping bag from Outdoor Vitals. And then whatever you do nowadays, whenever you buy something, they offer you like all these little free upgrades and just pay shipping and handling. Um, and they sent me uh, one of these like one breath pillows that you can like put in your bag and it folds up. It's mm-hmm. exactly like that, Joey. It's got this yeah. real thick Kydex bottom. Well, not Kydex, but like Kydera or Cordura or whatever that's and, called. But, um, it's got like a ring in the middle the where you're the back here. Yeah. Yeah. And then the back of your head, there's like a hole on it. I toted that last year some. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a big fan of just sitting on my butt. Anyways, I take my boot and kind of like make that hole in the ground just real quick next to the tree. And it sounds like a turkey scratching. Um, but you could think about one of those. Heck, I got a couple of those. I'll bring you on the turkey hunt, man. You can run out there and do a, a bottom land wrap on it. Well, <laughs> I think, uh, well, what Shane, uh, you, Glenn, Glenda that makes those, uh, little turkey tote bags, satchels. I think yeah. she uh, mm-hmm. will stitch up something for. I think she's the one that stitched up something for Doug to put around his donut. <laughs> so, like he had his in bottom land, <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's funny. I want one of those little satchels so badly. I just can't bring myself to walk through the woods with one of those. I just, <laughs> I feel like I just, I don't know. I feel like the gobbler would make fun of me, I guess, for carrying <laughs> a, a satchel in the woods with me. But they look sweet, man. That's when you call it a possibles bag. You don't call it a satchel. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, where are you going to be hunting this year, man? What, what states are you going to hit? I'm always curious to see where you're going to go. Uh, you know, last year I didn't hunt a lot uh, or travel extensively uh, because of that app we launched. And it's still affecting us financially as far as where I'm able to go to. I am going to South Carolina. I'm going down there because my daughter goes to a different school now. Their spring breaks at a different time of the year. It's in late March. It's still early March. And so uh, we're going to go down and mm-hmm. visit family in South Carolina. And the season will be in on private land. Right now I have some access to some private that I'll be able to hunt. I'm thinking about jumping on over to Alabama and trying to get a bird there before I head back to Minnesota. Uh, I'll see if that if I can work that out, I don't know for sure yet. But for the most part, I'm going to stick to the Midwest, maybe Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan, uh, maybe Indiana. Uh, I will see. But kind of just that's going to be my core area this year, like most years. But uh, that app, like I said, we launched that tracker app, and, and it is it's taking a lot of money out of myself, my, my pocket, and my, my, my partners uh, that have also contributed. So hopefully we can get that turned around eventually where it starts making some money to pay for itself and we don't have to be broke all the time. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my schedule this year. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. 
Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. I Have think you I'd noticed much rather um, those Midwest states, anyways, than down here? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They they I seem like more fun. Have you kind of noticed an uptick? I I think I already know the answer to this, but in the areas that you hunt, you know, you've already said you kind of stick primarily to the, primarily to the Midwest, and you know that area uh, somewhat closer to home. Are you still seeing an uptick in in hunting pressure up there, uh, and in some of these other places where you go in the South? Are you seeing more people nowadays? No, I, I, and you know, COVID was the only time I saw an uptick and I didn't really see that, but up here in, uh, out in South Dakota, a couple of spots I went to, I never run into anybody. I ran into a couple of guys and they were, one was a couple of college kids that were out of school. So they decided to go turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. And in another area, it was a couple of people, Minnesota, I, I ran into a couple of people, nothing too much, but that was only during, you know, 2020, right. whatever it's back to you know, what it's been like for the last 15 years. I mean, I've never seen a huge, but also I hunt during the week primarily. And I go to areas where it's not popular. I don't seek out the big, the yeah. most popular places to hunt. I try to find areas that, right. you know, are not listed in every magazine or, or like on every Facebook page is like, Oh, I hunt here. Like, like I'm not going to say it, but there's a WMA not far from my house when it comes to deer hunting. Everybody mentions it. That's the last place I'm going to go deer hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've been out there before, yep. but it's a zoo. And so I go to these smaller yep. little WMAs and, and I may see one or two vehicle during uh, part there during deer season. So um, even in Mississippi, when I was down there hunting, people were talking about there's trucks at every gate. Um, I did see some trucks uh, like, but they were concentrated in certain areas. Like all the, the area I was hunting, I got on a bird, you know, I saw one other vehicle down there in that area. And then I went to a, another area that had a recent burn. There were seven trucks parked at one gate. I'm like, this is the why, this is the reason you guys are complaining because you're going to where everyone else is yeah. going. Mm-hmm. Here I am from Minnesota. I rode around and I had no, no problem finding gates with no one parked there. It didn't seem like a whole lot of people. I think, I think when people start, complain about hunting pressure as far as turkey hunting pressure yeah there's probably an increase a slight increase i know there's an increase in non-resident hunting um overall across Mm. america the number of uh, turkey hunters in general has gone down 
But I think the reason people are complaining about pressures is, is what is it? Um, I forget the term. Basically, if you're looking for something, you're going to see it. It's like, yeah, I'll give a good example. My, my brother bought a Ford EXP. This is when we were younger. Never heard of the car. Never seen one in my life, mm-hmm. or at least didn't know I'd seen one. As soon as he got the car and we started riding around in it, I started seeing them all over the roads in the streets. I started noticing them. You know? <laughs> you know, and so I think that's what people notice things they're actually looking for. I, my mind started looking for that yeah. Ford EXP. And so uh, I think, but for me, maybe maybe my mind's not looking for pressure and I'm not finding it. But <laughs> maybe that's what the mentality everyone needs to get into. Hey, there's no pressure and then you won't find it. <laughs> But yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like very much pressure to me more than, than usual. I think I'm in the same that, boat as you, ahead, uh, Shane. Yeah. I'm in the, sh- the same boat as you, Shane, as far as, you know, living close to a WMA, that's pretty popular. I am 10 minutes from a, like a 15,000 acre WMA, uh, here in middle Tennessee. That's pretty popular. And it's just like you said, like on opening weekend of Turkey season, it's an absolute madhouse. And there is literally a truck at every gate. And so, I'm willing to make a drive to uh, almost a two hour drive to another part, you know, like on the other side of the state nearly to maybe a 3000 acre WMA. That's probably not going to have a soul in it. And I've heard birds there, you know, consistently over the last handful of years and just drive right past this big giant popular WMA. I think, I think a lot of people just need to, you know, they, if you if you really want to get away from some pressure, just take you a, take you a radius and, and draw it around every major city and stay out of that radius. Yeah, that's that's the thing I don't understand. A lot of people aren't willing to drive. If it, if there's not a place within less than thirty minutes from their house, they complain about oh, it's just so many yeah. people out here and and this and that. And, I mean, even here in Minnesota, sixty five percent of the population of Minnesota lives in five counties right here in the metro. Um, and so obviously you're going to have a lot of hunting pressure in these areas. I drive two to three hours to hunt. I mean, you're going to spend how many hours out in the woods, you know, and you're not willing to drive, you know, an hour and a half, two hours to get to a place that there's no one else going to be hunting. And that's what I tell people. It's like, if you don't like, if you don't like the fact there's a lot of people hunting this area here, you know, drive another hour and a half away out of the cities and get to a WMA or a piece of public that doesn't have as much hunting pressure. You can sit here and drive 15 minutes and, mm-hmm. and compete with other people and complain all day, mm-hmm. or you can drive two hours and have an enjoyable time, find gobblers that are vocal, call in one and, you know, fill your tag, you know? And so people don't think like that. I mean, they, they, they're too worried about convenience of driving a short distance mm-hmm. than investing, you know, just a little bit of gas and, you know, how much gas money is it going to cost you? Twenty, Even with today's prices, it's not going to yeah. cost you, you know, $20 to drive two hours there and back. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and then do I like, the other thing do like I do. If just you don't have the ability. Other. <laughs> <laughs> Stay overnight. If you don't have the ability like to it. drive two hours, you can, you can also just hunt differently. There's a lot of times where I'll hunt from 12 to dark. You know, I, I'm lucky and I live in a state that allows that now, but you know, there are some really heavily pressured areas around here that come 11 o'clock, there's nobody in the woods anymore. And I will gladly go sit. I, I've, I've learned just through convenience or uh, through um, uh, opportunities presenting themselves all day hunting. Whenever I, I get a Saturday to hunt, I try and I'm, I'm in the woods until I can't be there any longer. 
And I remember sitting in a turkey bottom one time, little hollows of the turkey honey hole. And at like 1130, all of a sudden you just hear two or three different hens start to fire off. And I was like, that's weird. Like, I wonder what happened. So I came back, I got beat to my spot one time and I come back at like 1145 one day and I go back and I'm sitting in that bottom. Like, I'd rather just be sitting in the woods listening than go home. And all of a sudden they start, you hear two or three hens start to fire off again. And I've, I've gotten to the point now where, you know, don't get me wrong. First hour of daylight, I'm really excited for obvious reasons. But mm-hmm. I mean, I don't sleep on, on 11 to two any day. And if I have to go to a party that, that morning for my son and, and I'm home by 12 and I've got 12 to four before dinner, I'm going to be out there from 12 to four. I mean, it, it's just, there's too many, too many opportunities, uh, even on heavily pressured public lands. If you just deer hunters do it all the time. Hey man, I was right behind the parking lot. No, everybody's walking right past it. You know, and I was hunting right behind the parking lot. I shot a 140, you know, and it's like, and just do the same thing. Just adapt to what what your opportunity is, and, and go. Don't sit at the house, please. Or yeah, do certainly going to please if you're listening. You're to certainly going to improve your increase your chances of getting a bird the more time you spend out there. That's kind of a given. Um, I I used to be like that. I'd go out in the afternoons every opportunity I get. But nowadays, I don't I don't know. Maybe I have the luxury of hunting more than most people, and so I um, when I especially in the late season when those days get so long. By two o'clock, I've given up for the mm-hmm. day. I'm going I'm to catch up some rest and, and whatnot. But I've hunted. You know, I've been up since 3 a.m. and I've hunted until 2. So I've put in some time. Now, mm-hmm. had I not been able to hunt that morning, I may go out that afternoon and hunt that afternoon and, you know, spend some time from, you know, 2 to 4 or 12 to 4. But it, it certainly makes sense, um, you know, get out there whenever you can. You're, more time, obviously, you're going to increase your chances. You, uh, Shane, I consider you probably one of the best, uh, that I've seen as far as locating goblin turkeys or getting turkeys to gobble, uh, because, you know, either owl calls or coyote calls or whatever else. Um, one, I guess, and I've, I've talked to you about this before. Like what's your, what's your favorite locator call throughout the day? You know, you're talking about early morning and then maybe you, sometimes you quit in the middle of the afternoon if you've already put in 12 hours of hunting. But what's what's a locator call that you use, no matter the weather or time of day or what? And uh, why do you think certain calls can elicit gobbles when others won't? Well, obviously, the owl hooter, if you've watched my videos, you see me use that all the time. That's that's my number one call because it has it has the range. Uh, and what I mean by that it has some of the soft noises, the the, the typical eight notes who cooks for you who cooks for y'all and then the more abrupt or louder or higher pitch noise of that cattle waller and so it kind of ha- covers the gamut of um of sounds that can help induce a, a turkey to the shock gobble and um and it's a common animal so people the the wildlife's aware of what it is that you hear it all the time uh barred owls in most parts of the country anywhere where i hunt anyway um the coyote howl is my, my next locator call. Um, that's kind of a last resort a lot of times if they're not gobbling readily to the, the owl hooter. I've had them gobble to coyote howls and not to an owl hooter, and I've had them gobble to owl hooters and not coyote howlers. Um, and so it, it goes both ways. But I've tried all the other stuff. I've tried goose calls. I had one gobble one time before and to that and then, then I haven't had much luck with it so I quit carrying a goose call. 
crow calls. I've never had much luck with those. I've had a few goblet crow calls, but I think crows, because they talk so much throughout the day, I mean, it's just nonstop. You can hear a crow at any point. I think the turkeys become numb to it and it doesn't, unless that crow is in the tree above them. I, I think it's it, the, the owl is just a better option. They're familiar with the owl, but the owl calls are not something they hear constantly. And like in the middle of the day, you don't hear owl that often. And all of a sudden an owl fires mm-hmm. up. It's been very good for getting turkeys to gobble. And then my um, third, I guess, thing I use for locating is actual turkey calls. And I'm not mm-hmm. co- so concerned with the sound that I'm producing or why I'm saying what I'm doing. I'm more or less trying to make a like cutting and loud yelp and high pitch yelping on a glass call because it sounds like a turkey that gobbler. If he, you know, if he's in the mood, he may gobble to it, but also that high pitch sound or that loud popping of the cutting on a glass call is, uh, is enough sometimes to give him the, the shot gobble. And I don't know, I guess just from over the years, I think- picking up these things, these things, those, those seem to be the best at triggering gobblers to gobble. Yeah. I think there's kind of a difference in the mood of a turkey. If he, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong or I don't know, but it's kind of something I've kind of noticed over the last couple of years. Like if I strike a turkey with a alcohol or, you know, just a regular old locator call, whatever it is, or a uh, turkey call, I think there's a difference. And maybe how that turkey's mood is. I think maybe if a turkey responds to a turkey call, I think maybe, would you agree? Maybe he's maybe in a little bit more mood to work or communicate or, or, or work or whatever. Um, versus if you just got a shot gobble out of him, like, do you think he's responding more to the turkey call and that he's wanting to attract that hen, or is it just another shot gobble, do you think, I, from a turkey I, call? I actually like I like turkeys that gobble readily to an owl hooter. If he if he gobbles as soon as I start to make a note or two, that gobbler is hot. I and mean, that's telling me any sound is yeah. triggering him to gobble. He's just so worked up and horny and whatever. Um, because you can run a turkey call and get any turkey to gobble just about, you know, no matter the intensity of their mood. Um and I, like, I'm trying to think there's a video. I'm trying to think which one it was. I was just editing recently where I try to get the bird to gobble. And as soon as I made like, whoo, whoo, I got that first note. And he, ah, he's cutting me off. And I'm like, yeah, that bird is, that bird is ready. I mean, and so I can imagine <laughs> those are the birds you sit down. You don't make another sound until you're ready to shoot him. You get your gun up and then you make a turkey mm-hmm. sound and he comes marching right in. So I would much rather right. have a bird that's, goblin to locator sounds than um hen sounds so it usually tells me they're 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 more ready they're readier <laughs> i got you maybe i've just had more luck um like with turkey calls because when he if i strike him with whatever mouth calls slate call or whatever and he gobbles i'm at the ready i guess and i can cut him back off you know with a hen mm-hmm. call or whatever and try to get him you know even more worked up maybe that's where that i'm i I've kind of noticed that maybe it's it's my fault and not the turkey's fault that uh, he's he's getting a little a little bit more worked up. Um, you said you you carried a goose call or you used to carry a goose call. Have there been any other odd locator calls that you've either you've used or you've seen other people use uh, over the years that actually uh, worked? I would, <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't say there's any of that. I, I, 
I've, you know, I've done them all, you know, growing up, you know, I was a sucker for trying new things. You know, I had that dog whistle that mad calls put out years ago. You know, <laughs> I fell for that. Um, I had a pileated woodpecker call. Um, you know, and the, the thing is, you know, I'm back to the, being a minimalist. Um, the, the less that I can carry the better. And I've gotten, I guess, from playing around with the mouth call so much, I can do different sounds with, I can do a pretty good natural voice crow call. So I don't even care a crow call because of that. And I've, I've played around doing crow calls on a mouth call. Um, I can do just high pitch shrills on a mouth call. I can do red tail hawks or red shoulder hawks on a mouth call, a turkey mouth call. You know, I can do <laughs> loons. I can do about anything and I can do the, I've played around with doing pileated woodpecker. Um, I don't, I mean, I've used an air horn. <laughs> That's odd, but I didn't carry it in the woods with me. <laughs> I had it like in the yeah. in my truck and I just like out into the, across the thing. And I've got turkeys gobbled that, but um, I typically try to stick to natural sounds. I don't, I don't know why, but mental, mentally I want to be a part of the woods and I want to sound like an animal in the woods. And, and that's, I'm all about <laughs> realism also. Um, I know people love to natural voice owl hoot. But right away, I can tell that's a person hooting. Um, and I'm sure yeah. people can tell that I'm running a, an owl call. But I like to think that it sounds a little more realistic and it's going to fool the animals into thinking that there's no hunter over there. It's just a real animal. you know. Right, right. One of the things I picked up from you sometime in the last couple of years was, uh, and I never really thought about it, was how to kind of pinpoint a gobbler after you locate him. It, turkey call or alcohol or whatever, but just you, you strike a, you strike a turkey. And I think you were doing this more so in the evenings when you were trying to roost a bird or trying to figure mm-hmm. out where to go in the morning uh, to set up on, on a bird. And you would either like, you might strike his turkey from the road or whatever. You get a position, maybe throw a pin or some kind of direction on where you heard that gobble from. And then you'd go, I don't know, however many hundred yards down the road or some whatever distance down the road and hopefully strike that bird again and throw another line or another pin in that direction. And you could, that made it a lot easier to pinpoint where that Turkey was, but I'll just, uh, that's something that I never, I've always had a hard time just pinpointing where a Turkey was just from the one location I was at, but it made a lot of sense, um, to triangulate yeah. your position and figure more, figure out more where that turkey was. And I, I, I don't know. I just wanted to make that comment that that was something that I learned yeah, that's, in the last that's, couple of years. That was that's helped me tremendously when triangulating turkeys, be able to go in there, you know. And you got to trust yourself, trust your, trust the process that when you drop a pin where you triangulated him, that that's where he is. And then, and then, like I would measure, you know, seventy five yards from him and drop a pin where I wanted to be in the morning. And so that's where I've made it an effort mm-hmm. to get to that spot and sit down. And I wasn't always right. I mean, this, the last year we, um, I can't, did I air that video yet? No, I didn't. That video is going to be the first one. It comes out, um, on my leftover videos, February 4th. It's going to show us trying it, try ain't triangulating a gobbler. And I had my buddy clay DeBose with me <laughs> and, uh, and so he talked me out of where I thought the bird was. He's like, Oh, I think it's up a little higher on the ridge. And and so instead of trusting my process, 
I let his his hearing convince me otherwise, and we ended up 80 yards on the wrong side of that bird. So if, Clay, you're listening to this, it's your <laughs> fault. Um, anyway, um, you're going to have instances like that. I've had it when I'm hunting by myself where I've screwed up and I wasn't in the right spot, but I've had instances where I was perfect. Um, what I have started doing, though, because I, I want to be even more accurate, is I've started carrying a compass around with me. So that when, you know, the compass, you know, Onyx has a comp- built-in compass feature, but it's only as good as your phone's GPS and the, the sensors in your phone. It can be off by quite a mm-hmm. bit a lot of times. So what I do typically is if I get a bird to gobble, I will set my, comp- I'll have my compass sitting there and I'll get like degrees from me. He's, he's uh, 10 degrees north, you know, uh, from my location. And I know that that magnetic north is not the same as a compass north or whatever it mm-hmm. is the on your true app. north or something. Yeah. Yeah. True north versus magnetic <clears throat> north. Your compass mm-hmm. is doing magnetic north. But there's an app that I have on my phone that gets rid of that angle of declination or whatever it's called. And so you can compensate mm-hmm. for that. And so then I will get the I will drop a pin where I was standing and a pen where I hear the bird gobble, and I will make a note on the pen. I'll say 10 degrees from this location, north, whatever. Then I'll move down the road, or I'll walk mm-hmm. 200 yards to the woods, and I'll get him to gobble again. And I will measure with the compass, and it'll say, you know, 40-something degrees from this location. And I'll write that in my notes. And I'll drop a pen still where I think he's at. But when I get to my truck that evening, you know, I'll usually sit there and eat my my dinner um, charging batteries and I'm looking at my map now I'm I'm moving the compass on on X until it matches up 10 degrees uh, with my you know or whatever my figure is with my angle of declination and I will have that gobbler pinned to a Zach tree you know oh pretty close to it and I'm getting it's getting scary accurate into this to to the point that I almost feel like it's cheating <laughs> You know, that I, I can know exactly where he's sleeping and I can slip in there in the dark. And so I told uh, my buddy Joel that hunts with me quite a bit. I said, I'm almost to the point of giving up on roosting gobblers just because I feel like I've got so much of an advantage that it's almost not fun anymore. Um, I'm <laughs> thinking about just going to the I'm serious. I'm, I'm considering, you know, except for those mornings when I'm desperate, I've gone three days without killing one. Then I'm like, I'm just going to roost one (laughs) but um i've actually thought about just not even roosting and going out there the next morning and just hunting just so i can make it more of a challenge again because those roost roost and roast hunts have become uh, somewhat easy for me um and i it's starting to take away the challenge i agree it's gotten exhausting you know you just wake up and punch (laughs) those tags and you're just you're trying to figure out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm sitting here like my friend, you said that it struck me. So I had my mic muted cause I got a bit of a cough today and I'm glad I did because you said that and I was, I was laughing and, and, and coughing. Um, but I've also ordered a compass now because I've got a couple of bowls that I hunt around here and where there's an elevation change and the birds are kind of on my level and mm. I can ride my e-bike around that bowl with the last 30 minutes of, of like barely, barely legal light. And now I'm going to start doing that exact same thing. Cause those jokers, it, it feels like they can throw their throw their voice really well. But with what you're talking about, that's kind of a brilliant move. I'm I'm Jones in this. <laughs> might be a lot of fun. I, hopefully, hopefully, I get tired of killing roosted birds. 
Shane, I want to I want to touch on something you talked about the evolution of of your locator calls. Um, I've never had a turkey, just for the record, respond to a crow call. I've got buddies who live and die by them that live up in Tennessee and Kentucky. I've never had one respond down here. But I'm curious, how have your turkey tactics when approaching birds or setups, has any of that changed recently? I mean, you tinkered with your guns. It it feels like you kind of just gave a bit of a nod to to what kind of bird you approach there from roosted versus not. But um, I'm curious, does... Do you approach birds any more or less aggressively? Do you do anything differently, or do you just kind of have a playbook that just works for you and you run with it? I mean, I think there's there's kind of a book in my head that I can pull from just from years of experience, and I don't really have to think about my next move a lot of times. But I will say that I have I'm getting more and more aggressive as the years, the last ten years, you know, five to ten years for sure. Um, and in the last five years or less, even more so, I've seen uh, a lot more success the more aggressive I get in my decision-making. Like, for instance, there's a turkey goblin, he, and I set up uh, over here, and he starts kind of you know, working to one side of me, but he's with hands. You know, my traditional way would be just to sit tight, and hopefully, you know, they would work back in my direction. Um, nowadays, you know, in this particular hunt I'm thinking of, I didn't waste any time. I was there for a few minutes. As soon as I saw that they were angling off, I, I did a big loop and I went 500 yards on the other side of him and parked. I went to my truck and then I made a, a, a you know, a trek through the woods, two or 300 yards. I dropped a pin where I thought he was last. And I, that's the other thing. You got to trust yourself, your process, everything. You start second guessing everything um, and then it's not going to work out. But you're going to bump birds trusting yourself a lot of times, too. But so for in this instance, I dropped a pin where I thought he was at and he's moving at this pace where I thought he was going to end up at by the time I got to where I wanted to be. And I dropped a pin where I wanted to be. And I wanted to be 150, 200 yards out in front of him. But because I had to go drive around to get to another spot to, to, on the other side of this block of uh, public and come in, you know, I had to go two or 300 yards to the woods. I just trusted that. And when I got to my location and I made my first call, he gobbled or a hen yelp and then he gobbled and they were right where I thought they would be. Um, and that's the kind of, you know, that's, I guess you'd call that aggressive, but you've, you've got to, you've got to be willing to take chances is what I, I guess I'm getting at. I'm, I'm willing to take more chances and I'm willing to, in the past, I did not want to move because I didn't want to lose tabs on that bird. You know, I wanted to stay with them. Mm-hmm but it didn't help me. I was always chasing them instead of being where they were going. And so like in this instance, I took a chance and, and I say, I'm there, they're here. I want to be here. Um, I went there and ended up, you know, it worked out for me. And I was, I was able, because I was in front of them, I called and the hens were the first to show up and then the gobbler showed up a little bit later. But those, those are the things I'm willing to do more often now, take chances, take gambles. Um, there was a hunt last spring again, where, I was set up on the bird and I was being a little conservative at first. And I finally said, you know what? I'm not going to get this bird if I'm just being conservative. And so I started crawling. I dropped a pin where he was at, dropped a pin where I wanted to be at. And I wasn't crawling on him. I was crawling just because the woods were s- somewhat open where standing up moving could have potentially busted me, mm-hmm. got me busted. He could see 200 yards through the woods. Um, I put a tree in between me and where he last gobbled, you know, and I would crawl on my hands and knees to that tree. And then I'd sit there for a little bit. 
um, hoping, listening. I was listening the whole time I'm crawling. I'm stopping and pausing. But I ended up getting, believe it or not, within 30 yards of that gobbler and his hens. And they didn't see me. And I unfortunately, wow. I didn't see them either. I could actually I could hear him <laughs> drumming. And I was trying to make one more move to get to another tree so I could see. It was like some brush so I could see beyond it. And as I made my last like movement, I looked up. You know, I, I looked up from my hand where I was placing my hand or moving a stick and there was a hen and she bolted and, and the gobbler was like right there and, and he took off with him. And so, you know, that cost me, but, you know, taking those chances, just had I met, not made that last step or made that mistake, I would have been 30 yards from a gobbler and killed him, you know, potentially. And so that's mm-hmm. taking, taking chances, being more aggressive was what's really helped me lately. I think Sorry, that uh, a lot of people that. just don't read. <laughs> no, that's, you know, I, I just think a lot of people don't realize how much you can get away with if a turkey can't see you. And I've mm-hmm. said it, I don't know how many times, you know, so long as you're not making like human noise, you know, talking, coughing, you know, beating, you know, clanking some pieces of metal together, the gun or just whatever, like you can get away with a lot so long as that turkey don't see you. And, you know, I, I've used that to my advantage, you know, getting cl- as close as I can to roosted birds. You know, s- if they were just over, you know, the edge of a ridge or something like that. I mean, I, I have a hard time staying quiet in the woods anyway, I guess because I'm clumsy and I'm an idiot. And I just sound like drunk elephants marching through the, the leaves. But, I mean, I pat myself on the back for not bumping turkeys just from walking through the leaves. You know, I sit up there in the dark all night and they hear yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job, Joey. Uh, but they uh, they hear all kinds of stuff all night long, you know, that they can't see. And so I think I don't know that they, you know, really uh, put two and two together, you know, when it's still dark outside and there's rustling in the leaves like they they can't really know that much that it's a hunter coming through the leaves and not yeah, a deer or an armadillo. Or I don't think they figure then, that out uh, either. Yeah, and then the same thing, like uh, when uh, Parker and Jacob and I went up to Montana this year, that last bird that we killed uh, on that trip, uh, it was it was my turn on the gun. And from Parker and Jacob's uh, viewpoint, they were kind of up, they were up a little bit behind like this big rock and they were filming uh, me creeping up on this turkey. And from their viewpoint, it was just an open field, like with, not even that tall of grass, like very little tall grass from their viewpoint. It just looked like I was creeping up on this Turkey through the field with nothing in between us, but there mm-hmm. was just, just enough of a rise or an, or a knob in that, in that field between me and that Turkey that I was able to crawl. I don't know. I was able to crawl within 40 yards of this gobbler out in the wide open uh, field in Montana. And, you know, the wind helped to at least, you know, mask any kind of, you know, grass or whatever that I was crawling through. Um, but so long as that bird didn't see me, you know, I mean, I was just, I was just crawling. And if he moved, mm-hmm. um, I think there were a couple of little pine trees, you know, kind of scattered out here and there. If he moved, uh, and got behind a tree, you know, I would kind of scoot to the side or just do whatever. But so long as I kept his head, kept something between me and his head, I was comfortable and crawling on that Turkey. Um, and so I think people can get more aggressive than they think they can when it comes to turkeys, just so long as they don't see you. Just, I mean, do what mm-hmm. you can. That's right. I agree. 
it's funny when I first started hunting, a lot of the books I read said you can't beat a turkey's eyes, and it's true. But I think what Joey, one of the things I saw last year was there were a couple birds I crawled up on, and I was making all kinds of ruckus that I probably in the moment didn't think I was making. But like in hindsight, when I go back and I watch the video, I'm like, well, you were really, really loud. I ended up crawling within 30 yards because of like a little slight ridge. It was that last weekend. I don't remember. Were you in the the Patreon group that last weekend? That guy blew my hunt up and I crawled within like 30 yards of that drum and turkey. Okay. Anyways, I just told the story. So there it is. Uh, but I crawled up over this ridge just ever so slowly. And every time his fan would face away from me, I would crawl a little bit further and keep like a tree, like in between me and him. And I got within 30, 35 yards of him. And another hunter came walking down the swamp, hearing that gobbler just fire off. Um, and ended up spooking him. But it was at that point in time, like, I close the distance from about a hundred to about 30 using topography. And when I look back at that footage, how loud I was, um, I don't know if he just thought I was feeding hens. I don't know if he just didn't care in that moment. Um, but I've snuck up on a couple birds, um, doing something similar to that last year. And it feels like if they can't see it, they almost don't care for a lack of better words. It's, it's almost a, a disregard. And I don't think turkeys, uh, react to sound as much as say like deer do you know like a a turkey if they don't see you you can Mm -hmm. be as loud as you want to be and they may have their head up alert waiting for whatever it is to come into view they're not going to run off whereas a deer in the same situation they'll take off long before you get in sight because they they seem to be able to figure out that that sounds a person and not or you know just like you busting through the brush in a in like a cattail marsh like where i hunt for deer they instantly know I'm not a deer come through that marsh and they take off. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. a turkey I've had, like you, you said, I had, um, was it last, last year, I believe, or year before last. Um, I had some birds came in. I didn't get a shot on them and they worked back down the ridge. And so I wanted to circle and get in front of them. So I dropped on the other side of the ridge and worked my way down to the end of the ridge. And I kind of popped up and I was just going to sit down right there at the tip of the ridge, just on one right over the, like the lip of it. And as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm setting up my camera, uh, my tripod to film me run a pot call, right? Kind of set it up to be my cameraman. And I could hear something rustling in the leaves and I thought it was a squirrel just on the other side of the lip. And I, I kick myself still to this day for not, not thinking about it and, and checking it out. But I'd made a lot of noise in the leaves myself and so I didn't think anything about it. I guess that was part of the reason I thought it was a squirrel and not a, a turkey. But anyway, I stepped about five feet in front of the camera to run the pot call. And that five feet stepping out, I gained about a foot of elevation. And when I did, I saw like six turkey heads pop up. They were sitting there scratching the leaves, feeding just, you know, 20 yards from me. And, and I got that close. And I guess maybe they thought I was just another turkey walking through the leaves or what, or, but it wasn't until they saw me that they, they got out of there. Had that been a deer, deer would have heard me mm-hmm. walk and they would have been gone. I think that's one of the things Turn I love drops. about turkey hunting is it feels, um, gosh, I can't put it into words. I thought I had it there for just a second. It just feels, it feels less stress-based in the moment. There are moments of stress, but it's like, I don't have to be like, on my P's and Q's from the time I step out of the truck to the time I, you know, I draw back on a deer. It feels like the margin for error for just, you know, existing is smaller. 
I don't know if that makes any sense at all now that I've said that out loud, but <laughs> I'm gonna run with it. No, it, it it makes it makes sense to me just because, like we said, I mean the they just don't respond to sound that much, and until you know they can see your position, then there's not that much stress. You know, so long as you're not, you know, like we said, you're not making human noise, you're not making unnatural right. noises, you're just stomping through the leaves, or you're making turkey calls, yeah, they, or whatever. But that goes back to like just deer don't and turkey. Consider that much of a threat. But going back to deer and turkeys, like a deer will respond to that sound where a turkey just waits to see what it is. On the flip side, a turkey yeah. sees mm-hmm. you and they're gone and a deer will look at you and kind of bob his head and try to figure out what yep. it's seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think each mm-hmm. has their advantages and disadvantages. But. I heard a guy one time describe it as a, as a turkey sees something move and it says hunter with an exclamation point, like hunter. And a deer goes, hmm. <laughs> Hunter, like question, like you've got that, like that, that moment <laughs> yep. there, you know, and I was like, that's, that's really smart. I've never heard of it said that way before. And then he said that and I was like, that's, that's really great. I thought might've, that might've been clay. I'll give him credit for that one. I think that might've been clay. Um, yeah, there is a yeah, saying it, that says that, uh, a deer will think every hunter is a stump and a turkey will think every stump is a hunter. <laughs> yeah. I bet that's what clay was actually that. saying. And he just paraphrased it to sound really wise. <laughs> well, I Shane, think there's man. a there's well now there's one more saying that I think uh, that I thought I, I saw or heard or something one day that says if you if you fart in the woods a bear will smell it a deer will hear it and a turkey can see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before, Joey. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, but it's that all was, true. That, I think. <laughs> All those are good ones. I like the exclamation the and the question mark one too. That's I got to start. Yeah, I got to need to make a meme about that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you tag Soko Soko Hunt. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll do. Yeah, oh, we'll just man. tell well, Parker to I, make. I have it. got yeah, it's, 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 yeah, he's good at that. <laughs> yeah, it's shame on him for not being here because he would have really ran with that in the moment. You know. Yeah, yeah. he made a t-shirt out of it. Yeah, you guys are gonna be at Nashville. <laughs> all, all you guys are gonna be at Nashville. You gonna be there, Walter? I no. should be, uh, barring any kind of child sickness or emergency. Uh, I didn't get to go last year because of uh, my son's surgery, but I am really looking forward to going this year. And I'm hoping nobody pops off sick or something crazy. Mm-hmm. So, I'm hoping Walter, to be you're there. not gonna be there, but Parker's gonna be there. No, Parker's not going to be there either. So we we had to move our Patreon deer hunt that we host every year to the last weekend of January, and so that mm-hmm. kind of killed killed the uh, the PTO request with the wives. But uh, I um, think we are on the wait list to have, have a that booth problem. there. <laughs> <laughs> you get my age, you don't have those issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I live an hour think, away too, so if I did, if yeah. I lived any further away, I'd probably be in that same camp. I'd have to put in my <laughs> my leave well in advance. I'm, with, I'm almost yeah. fifteen to get, hours to get a kitchen away. pass. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. 
Stop by your local Decova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. She's not happy. Elena She's wants not to go on this year, though. Trip That's for it, sure. So. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, I'm going to put a pin in this. I've got other things I've got to do. Uh, I could sit here for a, for a couple more hours and talk. Uh, Shane, at some point, I'd love to share Cherokee camp with you. We need to, like, you know, when you start really doing your Southern tours again, we should really try and find a way to, to link up. Cause I'd love to just sit in the woods and listen to you talk to a Turkey, man. I, every time I sit quietly without a gun and just listen to a Turkey hunter who knows what he's doing. It's just like, I, I wish I had a notepad where I could just take notes. Cause I, I, anybody who's listening right now, um, if you, if you're new to Turkey hunting or you're struggling with Turkey hunting, I cannot stress enough, find somebody to go with who knows what they're doing and then just sit quietly and don't ask questions and just watch what they do because they'll put on a clinic right in front of you for free. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I, if I had to give one bit of advice and I, I know everyone says patience, 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 and I never really understood that because I thought it really didn't mean much to just, just to be patient and sit there and wait for something. But patience in the right context is a big part of success in the turkey woods. You know, take your time, listen to what's going on, listen to everything out there. That's one thing that I've that's helped me a lot lately is just, um, you know, be more observant and quiet and listening to your surroundings while you're out there. That's part of the patience thing. You got to be patient and take that all in. Um, but uh, I think if, if people can master that, part of it they don't need to sit there and watch me hunt they can figure it out on their own pretty quickly that's yeah. awesome man well, I, I appreciate you pulling time out your evening and joining us and uh we'd, we'd love to have you on anytime you want to you want to talk well, heck we need you know what you need to do we need to have you on to talk deer hunting because i don't think i've ever had you on to talk about that and you go on some hell hella fun adventures i enjoy everything you put out man i, I really appreciate you yeah, I appreciate that. I don't know if anybody wants to hear me talk about deer too much. I'm not an expert at that I, I'm, I'm just a regular deer hunter. I wouldn't say I'm an expert yeah, turkey uh-huh. either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Until next time, get outside, enjoy the great outdoors, get your turkey quotas permits in if you haven't already dust off the calls get ready it will be here sooner than you realize you, you're going to wake up one day and it's going to be time to get after it so until next time get outside and enjoy the great outdoors you'd think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing but as i've learned no matter where i've been whitetails can be damn tricky 
pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. (laughs) Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.